This is Alan Johnson, pastor of Old Peachtree Presbyterian Church in Duluth, Georgia. The Bible is God's Word. It describes itself as living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Therefore, any encounter with the Bible is a momentous thing because it never leaves us unchanged. My prayer for you as you hear this message is that the Holy Spirit will use it in your life to inform your mind, to feed your soul, and to help you grow in your faith in Christ. Please take your Bibles and turn to Jeremiah chapter 17, looking this evening at verses 19 through 27. We are in in the midst of a series of studies in Jeremiah, prophet Jeremiah, and tonight we are in chapter 17, verses 19 through 27. Hear the word of the Lord. Thus said the Lord to me, Go and stand in the people's gate by which the kings of Judah enter, and by which they go out, and in all the gates of Jerusalem, and say, Hear the word of the Lord, you kings of Judah, and all Judah, and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, who enter by these gates. Thus says the Lord, Take care For the sake of your lives, and do not bear a burden on the Sabbath day, or bring it in by the gates of Jerusalem, and do not carry a burden out of your houses on the Sabbath, or do any work, but keep the Sabbath day holy, as I commanded your fathers. Yet they did not listen or incline their ear, but stiffened their neck, that they might not hear and receive instruction. But if you listen to me, declares the Lord, and bring in no burden by the gates of this city on the Sabbath day, but keep the Sabbath day holy and do no work on it, then there shall enter by the gates of this city kings and princes who sit on the throne of David, riding in chariots and on horses, they and their officials, the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And this city shall be inhabited forever, and people shall come from the cities of Judah and the places around Jerusalem, from the land of Benjamin, from the Shephelah, from the hill country, from the Negev, bringing burnt offerings and sacrifices, grain offerings and frankincense, and bringing thank offerings to the house of the Lord. But if you do not listen to me to keep the Sabbath day holy, and not to bear a burden, and enter by the gates of Jerusalem on the Sabbath day, then I will kindle a fire in its gates, and it shall devour the palaces of Jerusalem, and shall not be quenched. Let us pray. Our Father, we turn our attention this evening to your word, and ask that you would guide us, and give us grace and wisdom As we study your word together tonight, teach us those things you would have us learn. Feed our souls on your word. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Whenever I read a passage such as the one before us tonight, I can't help but think of Mary Alice Juhan. Some of you know Mary Alice. Mary Alice was for many years a member of this church. In fact, uh, humanly speaking, of course recognizing God's providence, but humanly speaking, Mary Alice is the reason this church is here today. Mary Alice grew up, lived most of her life in Lawrenceville, just right off the square. 
and in the early 50s, when what was then Bethel Presbyterian Church started in 1925 on that top of the little hill there on our property, uh, ceased to be a going concern. It was Mary Alice who came over a short time later and arranged for uh, the church to resume with Sunday school, with uh, someone to come and preach, and uh, kept the church going through some pretty lean years. Uh, Mary Alice's funeral was on June 3rd, 2002. She was the first funeral uh, that I had done in this church after being here at that time seven and a half years. Uh, Mary Alice uh, believed in the Lord's day. That's not actually strong enough. Mary Alice was a zealot for the Lord's day. When she would hear of a planned Sunday activity, a circus coming to town, she would follow those tacking up the signs and pull them down. They're illegal anyway, she would comment. She is most famous or infamous for taking to task a movie theater that began showing movies on Sunday in Lawrenceville. She protested by throwing a brick through the ticket office window. She was, of course, uh, confronted about this by the law. As her nephew says, they were going to lock her up, but the town intervened. Uh, she did pay for the window, saying she had, had made her point, um, told her she can't continue doing those kinds of things. Uh, in fact, uh, I've got some pages here printed out of a book. Actually, Jack had given me these copies from a book. This was by Elliot Brack. Uh, the book was Gwinnett County, a little above Atlanta, uh, and focuses on some various uh, personalities in Gwinnett County, and Mary Alice was definitely one of the personalities of, uh, not to say characters, of Gwinnett County. Uh, it actually does have a picture here of a sign. I'll put it out here. I can see it afterward if you want to look at it. A picture of a sign posted on a tree on her property. The sign says, Sunday movies are wrong. Mary Alice was very active in the Georgia and the U.S. Lord's Day Alliance. And you thought you were a Sabbatarian. Well, most of us uh, are, are somewhat in awe of that kind of zeal for the Lord's Day. However, uh, it's much, much more common these days, especially, to find the pendulum having swung the other way. Even among people who are very knowledgeable Christians and, and very faithful followers of Christ, uh, there is a much less sense of the weightiness uh, and the significance of the Lord's Day in our time. For most Christians, we have the Lord's Hour Maybe the Lord's couple of hours uh, on, on Sunday, but it doesn't go much beyond that. Well, for Jeremiah, obviously, this was a, a major issue in Judah in his day, as we have seen. Now, we need to recognize for the prophets, their task was not to be lawgivers. You want lawgiving? Go to Moses, go to the Pentateuch, go to Sinai. The role of the prophet was not to give law, it was to enforce. The role of the prophet was to be a covenant enforcer. And we see that uh, in Jeremiah's ministry as we've been studying Jeremiah on Sunday night, taking Israel to task for its hollow worship of the Lord, for its idolatrous worship of false gods. 
and uh, most of all, for their what it all comes down to, their worship of themselves, going their own way, refusing to be in submission to the Lord. Now, we do have to say that Jeremiah's concern is with faithfulness to God's covenant as a whole. And we see that in different places in Jeremiah. If you go back, for example, to chapter 7, verse 23, uh, the word of the Lord through Jeremiah, this command I gave them, obey my voice and I will be your God and you shall be my people and walk in all the way that I command you that it may be well with you. And then he goes on to say they didn't obey or incline, or incline their ear, walked in their own counsels, the stubbornness of their own evil hearts, went backwards and not forwards. From the day and that day that your fathers came out of the land of Egypt to this day, I have persistently sent all my servants, the prophets, to them day after day. What for? To enforce the covenant, to call them to repentance and back to faithfulness, to their covenant to the Lord, with the Lord. He was their God. They were his people. He had redeemed them. They belonged to him. Verse 26, yet they did not listen to me or incline their ear, but stiffened their neck. They did worse than their fathers. So Jeremiah was concerned with Judah's, Jerusalem's faithfulness to the Lord in all the aspects of the covenant and all that that entailed. But sometimes Jeremiah would, would, would speak in terms of one particular aspect of the covenant, various facets of it, basically to represent the whole, but certainly concerned over different details or different aspects of the covenant that God's people were violating. And as we see here, the Sabbath day was one of those. The Sabbath was part of the covenant. It was uh, central to God's covenant relationship with his people. It was not only uh, for his glory, but it was for their well-being. It was a mark to themselves and to the nations around them that they were the Lord's, that they belonged to him. In that sense, it was somewhat analogous to the covenant sign of circumcision. It, it indicated who they were as God's people. Now, the command was given uh, that they were to rest on the Lord's day. Uh, in commemoration of, in Exodus, God's resting on the seventh day, uh, an acknowledgement of God's having brought them out of Egypt, a place of bondage, a place of toil and slavery, that the Lord's day, the, the Sabbath day, rather, in the Old Testament context, represented uh, rest. It represented their life in the Lord and in his grace. Well, let's look at what Jeremiah says here, actually says in this passage, and then let's go back and, and look at what that has to do with us. Verse 19, thus said the Lord to me, go and stand in the people's gate. Now, we don't know exactly which one that is, but obviously an important gate, which the kings of Judah enter, by which they go out all the gates of Jerusalem. In other words, basically go out to where the people are, go to the public places where you're going to meet the people, and say, hear the word of the Lord, you kings of Judah, all Judah, all the inhabitants of Jerusalem who enter by these gates. So the first thing we have here is a declaration of the law. He's not giving the law. The law was given long ago. But he's reminding them by declaring this law to them again. Verse 21, thus says the Lord, take care for the sake of your lives. We might say, take care as if your life depended on it. It's that important. And do not bear a burden on the Sabbath day or bring it in by the gates of Jerusalem. Do not carry a burden out of your houses on the Sabbath or do any work, but keep the Sabbath day holy. That's the first time that statement occurs. It occurs three times in this passage. That's why I gave this sermon tonight. That name, 
Three times here in verse 24, verse 27, that, that statement occurs. Keep the Sabbath day holy as I commanded your fathers. Yet their fathers didn't. They didn't listen. They didn't incline their ear, stiffen their neck, that they might not hear and receive instruction. So Jeremiah begins with a declaration of the law, a reminder that that law had been given to their fathers, their ancestors, uh, by Moses, but they didn't keep it. They didn't obey it. But God says, this is important. You need to listen to me. You need to take care with this as if your life depends on it. To do what? To rest. To cease from your labors. To cease from commerce. To cease from your toils. Now you would think people might be delighted to have the opportunity not to have to work. Take a break to be able to rest. Uh, and, and the Lord had given them this day. There was to be a day to cease, to remember that they were not in bondage in Egypt. They were not in bondage to their commerce or to their farming or to anything else. The Lord was their provider. And by resting, they not only benefited themselves physically, but they reminded themselves that ultimately it was not their occupation that provided for them. It was the Lord in his goodness who met their needs. And it was a day to remember the rest that they had in him, both his rest in creation, but also the rest that he had won for them in bringing them out of Egypt. Now, that's the declaration. It is followed with a promise of blessing for the obedient. And this begins in verse 24. Their fathers, their forefathers, did not listen. They disregarded this commandment. But the Lord says in verse 24, But if you listen to me, you bring in no burden on the Sabbath day, you keep the Sabbath day holy, do no work on it, there will be tribute. There will be stability. Notice what he says. There shall enter by the gates of the city kings and princes who sit on the throne of David, chariots and horses, they and their officials, the men, the inhabitants. It shall be inhabited forever. And people shall come in from the cities of Jerusalem, the places around Jerusalem. He lists all of these different places. They'll bring burnt offerings and sacrifices, grain offerings, frankincense, thank offerings to the house of the Lord. Those are good things. To have a strong king, to be stable, to be strong, to enjoy all these blessings of the Lord's provision, to see the, uh, the worship of the Lord taking place as it should. We spoke this morning some uh, where Jesus was talking about his return and the ordinary routine of life being interrupted as it was by the flood in Genesis and one day being interrupted by the uh, return of Christ. But I have to tell you, I like routine. I like the predictability, the stability uh, of knowing what's coming next. Well, the Lord says something like that here. You will be well governed. You will be well provided for. You will engage in the right worship of the Lord. These things will be part of the blessings of observing the Sabbath day. And so there's this promise of blessing for their obedience, but there's also the threat of judgment for their disobedience. Look at verse 27. But if you do not listen to me to keep the Sabbath day holy, again, that, that, that clause that occurs in each of these three sections, and not to bear a burden and enter by the gates of Jerusalem on the Sabbath day, then what? Very different picture. I will kindle a fire in its gates, and it shall devour the palaces of Jerusalem and shall not be quenched. 
In other words, destruction. So the Lord says, here's the law through Jeremiah. Here's the law I gave you. If you obey this and keep this, here are the blessings that you will enjoy. But if you do not, here is the judgment that you will endure. Now, this applies to all the various aspects of God's covenant, his commandments, laws that he gave and so forth. But the Lord is zeroing in here particularly on this one, on the Sabbath day. And as with the covenant as a whole, as you read it in Deuteronomy and other places, uh, for faithfulness and obedience in the covenant, there's blessing. For unfaithfulness, disobedience, rebellion, there are these covenant curses that come into play. Now, already at this point, we, we've seen how, uh, how Israel, the northern kingdom, is no more. And uh, Judah and even Jerusalem are under threat as we've spoken of, and Jeremiah uh, has spoken of, their destruction for their rebellion against the Lord. Well, here, zeroing in on this particular facet of keeping the Sabbath day holy. Now, it is interesting, as we look at how this applies today, uh, that I think some people's relationship to the Sabbath day would be, they recognize, uh, for example, the, confi- the, 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 the position espoused in the Westminster Confession and Catechisms, that it is the Christian Sabbath, uh, that it is to be a day in which we cease from our labors, cease from commerce, cease from business, and rest, and occupy ourselves with the worship of the Lord. They hold that position. They just don't do it. There are other people who theologically disagree and see this as, a, as an Old Testament ceremonial function that no longer has any real applicability to the Christian other than maybe by way of example. Uh, there are those who hold that view uh, and therefore see Sunday as, as any other day, except today perhaps conveniently enough for us to gather for worship. Well, uh, I subscribe to the Westminster Confession of Faith, and I subscribe to it on that point. I believe that what the confession says there is not merely a Puritan excess, but in fact is the position that Scripture calls us to. Uh, is, is Sabbath keeping still an obligation of the Christian? I would say yes. The problem you run into if you say, well, it's no longer binding, is you come to the fourth commandment. Now, does that mean you now have nine commandments? Uh, so so it's, it's a pretty central matter. But I would like to say that it does play an important part and should play an important part in the life of Christian discipleship for this reason. And I want us to look at kind of through the scriptures uh, quickly just to kind of impress upon us why uh, this is still a part of the Christian life. For one thing, it originates in creation creation of the earth itself. The Lord, of course, ceased from his creative work on the Sabbath day, the seventh day, rested on it, and blessed it. And that is the basis given for the fourth commandment in Exodus 20. Following God's own example, his own uh, pattern of the week in creating you know, the first six days, but then resting on the seventh day and are following that pattern. You come to a Sabbath observance actually before Exodus 20 and the giving of the Ten Commandments there. Turn back to Exodus 16. Exodus chapter 16. The Lord provided for his people in the giving of manna, but even that was not left wide open and unregulated. 
Uh, we read in verse 22, this is Exodus 16:22. on the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, this is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake, boil what you will boil, and all that's left over lay aside to be kept till the morning. So they laid it aside until the morning as Moses commanded them, and it did not stink, and there were no worms in it. Now before, they tried to keep some, and it went bad. But here, he said, gather up twice as much to cover you for today and for the Sabbath day, and it kept. Moses said, eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. Now, we caught that we, we morphed there from the Lord speaking to Moses to Moses repeating to the people what the Lord had said. God did not take it lightly that some of the people went out on the seventh day, on the Sabbath day, to begin gathering manna. They didn't find any, but the very fact that they went out to look for it displeased the Lord. Now, what's significant about this passage is that it falls, as we have here, several chapters before Exodus 20, before Sinai, before the giving of the law. This Sabbath principle was in effect, and the Lord's evident displeasure at those who violated it, but also his provision in order that they could rest to recognize that it was the Lord who provided for them. And certainly Sinai, uh, Exodus 20, Deuteronomy 5, uh, I can remember uh, as a child learning the shorter catechism. And I always dreaded the, uh, the fourth commandment because it was one of the long ones. You know? The second commandment and the fourth commandment, those were the bears, they were... They were long. The fourth commandment, not only a commandment, but reasons given to it. And uh, memorizing all of that. And then, of course, the prophets. We're looking at Jeremiah, obviously, but uh, Isaiah as well as a uh, covenant enforcer. Um, in Isaiah 58, 13, if you turn, your, turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, and the holy day of the Lord honorable. This is uh, Isaiah fifty-eight thirteen. If you honor it, not going your own ways, or seeking your own pleasure, or talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord. And I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I'll feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And so the Lord is looking... Certainly for an observance of the day, but one that arises out of a delight in the day, out of a love for the day and everything that that day represents. And and, and the Lord says, when you do that, I will bless you. Whatever the details of those involve, evidently they involve blessing and the favor and goodness of the Lord. And so God's concern for the Sabbath day is evident. What about the New Testament? Well, it is interesting that uh, the day of his resurrection, and this is in uh, John chapter 20, Jesus meets with his disciples the day of his resurrection, the first day of the week. They were there. Jesus encounters them. Um, Thomas missed it. We looked at that back in the spring of Easter. Uh, Thomas wasn't there that night for whatever reason. The following Sunday night, 
Thomas is there. The disciples are gathered, and Jesus appears and meets with them again. And that seems to have set a pattern that's continued, for example, on into the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 20, verse 7, Paul, or Luke, writing uh, journeys with Paul, says, On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread. Now, the first day of the week, again, the day of resurrection, Sunday, first day of the week, we're gathered to break bread. Apparently a reference to the Lord's Supper and gathering for worship. That was a Sunday night service. Uh, it is curious that the Christians were meeting on Sunday nights on that first day of the week, probably because in that context, many of them did have to work and did not have the freedom to be uh, away during the day on the first day of the week. Uh, that was incidentally the case where Eutychus falls asleep and falls out the window. Uh, that's why we keep these windows closed. Not that any of you would fall asleep and not that I would ever preach till midnight, but you never know. But this, again, noteworthy. They're gathered on the evening of the first day of the week. Uh, And then, of course, John's reference in in Revelation 1 to the Lord's Day. Apparently, by that time, time Revelation was written, which I think was mid-90s A.D., um, that day was recognized sufficiently enough to, to John could say, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. Now, as we move from Old Testament to New Testament, there are transitions that take place. For example, from circumcision to baptism, from Passover to Lord's Supper. There's continuity. The underlying significance of grace is still there. But the sign has changed because we live in the new covenant when Christ has come, when Christ's life and ministry is past tense to us, not something in the future. In the same way uh, that Passover becomes the Lord's Supper, uh, circumcision becomes baptism in in the context of the New Covenant, uh, you look at the Scriptures, I'm convinced that the the, the Old Testament Sabbath becomes Christian Sabbath, the first day of the week, the Lord's Day. And its covenant significance is still there, is still in effect, and it, it still applies. That's why the uh, framers of the confession and the catechisms refer to it as the Christian Sabbath. And just like Passover, just like circumcision underwent a change, even while they still have that foundation of grace. The principle of the Sabbath day, that one day in seven, undergoes a change from the seventh day of the week now to the first day of the week, commemorating the resurrection of Christ, our redemption in him, It undergoes a change while retaining that same fundamental foundation of God's grace and goodness in our redemption. So I would say that, yes, I believe today, Sunday, the first day of the week, is to the Christian our Sabbath and should be set apart and observed accordingly. But that's the question. What does it mean to do that? How are we to do that? Well, the confession and the catechism say that the day is to be taken up in acts of public and private Worship, as well as acts of mercy and necessity. Uh, as I have before, I refuse to give a list of what is acceptable or what is not. I would say the bigger principle is not a list of do's and don'ts. It is the question of here where the Lord has given you a day to enjoy him, the one whom you profess to love and are commanded to love with all of your being. What do you do with that time? What do you do with that day that the Lord has set apart and calls you to enjoy him in it? What does it say about Christians when they have this day? 
And yet, as soon as possible, they run off to do all kinds of other things that have nothing to do with the enjoyment of the Lord or growth in his grace. We need to be careful. We don't want to become legalistic, you know, applying do's and don'ts to ourselves and worse, to others. You know, you may have particular convictions uh, that you want to be aware of being the Pharisee and saying your convictions have to apply to everyone else. I do think there's a matter of conscience here before the Lord. But I do think Christians, on the one hand, are missing out, one, on tremendous opportunity for growth themselves, but also tremendous opportunity for witness to the society around us. Just as Israel was to be a light to the nations around them, we are to be a light to the nations around us. And what witness is it when we're out there with the rest of the world engaging in commerce and entertainment and everything else on the Lord's day? Yes, the ox gets in the ditch. Yes, very rarely and occasionally I put gas in my car on Sunday because I was afraid I wasn't going to make it home. But I try to do that on Saturday, so I don't have to worry about it. Uh, yes, sometimes there are things that we do on Sunday we'd prefer not to do on Sunday. But let me ask you this. Is the general pattern of your life, not the exceptions, but the pattern, is it to seek the Lord, to pursue him, to know him, to learn of him, to grow in him, and enjoy him? On the Lord's day. And if it's not, what does that say about your heart? What does it say about your priorities? What does it say about your desires? Again, the Lord's day is not to be a burden. Jesus said the Sabbath was made for man to be a blessing, not man for the Sabbath to serve it and be in subjection to it. We don't want to repeat the danger, the the mistake rather, of the Pharisees in coming up with all kind of burdensome regulations and do's and don'ts. I think it's much better to aim for the spirit of the day, which is to enjoy the Lord, to know the Lord, and to grow in him. As Jeremiah calls God's people to task at this particular point of the covenant, and this isn't everything, but this was one particular aspect, I think we do well to go back and examine our own hearts and our own lives and practices as God's people. To ask yourself, If you are getting all the benefit and all the blessing out of the Lord's day that the Lord wants for you to have on that day, let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this day. Uh, Father, I do pray that it would be my desire and our desire uh, to get the maximum benefit and blessing out of this day that you have given to us. Uh, Father, help us to glorify you in it. Lord, we don't want to be legalists, and we don't want to become petty uh, nitpickers. Uh, Lord, you reprimanded the Pharisees severely uh, for those kinds of attitudes. Uh, when the disciples were merely picking some heads of grain in order to satisfy their gnawing hunger, uh, that didn't concern you. You were interested in mercy. You were interested in blessing, not in uh, legalistic regulation. But, Father, at the same time, we confess that all too often uh, we've not even been close to legalism. Lord, hardly even close to acknowledging that this is your day. Father, we pray that we might grow in our enjoyment of the day, in treasuring the day, uh, and, Father, valuing it and, and maximizing our enjoyment of it, so that we do grow in grace, so that we do thrive in our walk with you, so that we do enter Monday refreshed and ready to live for you on a new day. And we ask it all in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.